This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, we're talking about a working girl. No, not pretty woman, we've done that already, but a different kind of working girl who, from her humble roots, suddenly finds herself in a Cinderella story as she becomes part of a rich man's world. No, it's not pretty woman. From 1988, we're talking working girl. There isn't any room at the top for local girls like us. I'm not giving up. In the land of opportunity. They're not going to give you no shot test. They're going to shoot you. Where dreams are won and lost. Someone's about to get what she deserves. I know I'm asking an awful lot, Tess, but I, I need you to take over. Do me a favor, be me. Be my secretary. Thank you, Cynthia. Hold all calls, Miss McGill. Yes, Cynthia, thank you. While in the blue corner, some serious blonde ambition as Reese Witherspoon introduces the world to Elle Woods and proves that people with blonde hair can become lawyers if they want to as she rallies against the discrimination and stereotyping of blonde people everywhere. From 2001, we're talking Legally Blonde. One of the reasons I wanted to come here tonight was to discuss our future. Of course. I plan on running for office someday. Warner. I think we should break up. What? Oh. If I'm going to be a senator, I need someone serious. I'm seriously in love with you. I love you. Liar! This is the type of girl that Warner wants to marry. A law student. Going to Harvard is the only way I'm going to get the love of my life back. For my admissions essay... Action. I'm going to tell all of you why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. I object. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I have a head for business and a body for sin. I'm Alex Zane. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Vicky Compton. Yuck! And I'm Chris Tilly and I've got a head for sin and a body for business. (laughs) 
<laughs> was that sexy, huh? Was mm-hmm. that a sexy way to start? Yep. Yep. Wipe your mouth. <laughs> oh, how are you both? Good. Yeah, very well. Yep. Thanks. All right, good. Shall we get straight into it this week? Mm. Yeah. Because these were your choices, Victoria. Yes, Tell us why. Well, just these for me are both really good, feel good films. Like at moments in both these films, I just feel an actual rush of joy. Mm. And I've had appalling female bosses and I've had to deal with off remarks about blonde people in my life. So there we are. It's like a double word score for me kind of thing. Okay, so there's real emotion. Oh, yeah. And I once had a female boss that did not stop talking about the colour of my hair. So double trouble there. What colour was her hair? Blonde. It made no sense. I was like, this is a self-stigma thing that you have that I don't have. What sort of thing did she say, for Mm. example? Were you you an ice-cold blonde or were you a dumb blonde or were you a bombshell blonde? What what kind? She liked to think that we were dumb blondes together and I'd be like, this isn't, this is not going to help your career and it's, you're my boss, it's definitely not going to help mine. (laughs) So she wasn't actually having a go at you, it was misplaced camaraderie. It, she didn't I, read yeah. Victoria Crompton very well. I, it was so funny. No. When, when I first met her, God, I hope she doesn't listen to this. It's really awful because she was a nice person. She just did that thing, which I do. So I recognise we just say, you can't believe what you've just said. And when she was introduced to me in front of someone else, she went, oh, look, another dumb blonde just like me. <laughs> and the colleague I was with, she's like, you should have seen your face. My face was just like... <laughs> Thunder. Did like, you get did you get the red on your I neck? Did, I did get the red on my <laughs> neck. Yeah, like get out. Just get out. So yeah, she didn't mean I would say she didn't mean to, but she did do it quite a lot. And it was so weird to me because it's such a strange thing to hear um that you can't do certain things because oh, of the colour of your hair. Did but. she keep doing it or was it just a sort of was it like one of those uh, a failed introduction like hey let's be mates because we're both dumb blondes. That's what you'd hope isn't it because I think my facial expression was fairly clear right. uh, but no she kept going the whole time I worked with her. Mm. So one thing you should know about Victoria she cannot hide her emotions. <laughs> and she does not like camaraderie. <laughs> <laughs> or, or women. And also I'm no I'm mourning about my female bosses. Because it's always more upsetting when something like that happens because you're expecting it less. So it's smart, it's a bit more. But to be fair to all my female bosses, they have never tried to sexually assault me. So they've got one up there. Yep. (laughs) Every cloud. Yes. (laughs) Right then. Uh, (laughs) So uh, the clue you gave on last week's show, Victoria. Blonde ambition. Blonde ambition. Chris, follow that up on Twitter with... Career girls. So we are on Twitter at ClashPod, also on Instagram at ClashPod, and we had a lot of guesses all trying to be the boss. Uh, Very quickly, before we get into the right ones, uh, I like this pairing. Cabby Bill. Centre pairing. It is very much a me kind of pairing, so strap in. But one of my weeks, I'm definitely doing Tomb Raider versus Resident Evil. Oh, lovely. It's good, right? Yeah. I never thought that. Never thought that. Chris, your face. Does that mean I have to watch Resident Evil again? (laughs) You have to watch one (laughs) of them. Oh, fine. Yeah. Then both of them. What am I saying? Yeah. (laughs) Resident Evil's great. Is it? No. (laughs) No, I don't know why I said that. It's watchable, though. Right then. So the right answers. John Cahill, Matt, Gemma Page, Paul Lowe, Kirsten, Ellen Young all got the right answer. Congratulations. But you were beaten because working her way to the top, it's this week's winner and a first-time winner. Congratulations, Leanne Cartwright. Well done. She was straight in there. Very, very fast. Very fast. No second clue needed for Leanne Cartwright. Uh, Leanne, your prize is a ride in the back of a limousine. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, you have to provide your own cocaine, champagne and weird swimming pool porn. But Kevin Spacey is available. Uh, he needs the work. So there you go. All right, then. <laughs> a lot in that. There's a lot in that prize. <laughs> uh, connection section. Well, I'll go first then. Sexual harassment. Yep. yep. Got that. Uh, blondes. 
Yes, thank you. Oh, for God's yes. sake, Alex. <laughs> Just try. All right, I've got a better one. The bend and snap is kind of, well, it's very much in Legally Blonde. You know, yep. you know what I'm talking about. Yes, there's, Having, yes, there's a scene. <laughs> there's a Why are you scene. looking at me? I've, I've watched the movie. Right. You just looked a bit blank. But in Working Girl, Tess drops her handbag, which is what catches Jack's eye. So Ooh. she's doing it to him. Very oh, good. Oh, that is That's good. very good. Makeovers. There's yeah. makeovers in both movies. Uh, women waiting for men to pop the question. Oh yeah, mm, that's a, but I tell you what, here is the most the most serious one. The titular the female character does not change the essence of who she is to get what she wants, but gets what she wants by staying true to herself at the same time as realizing new aspects to her character. Is that true in both films? Yes, yes, okay. yes, oh, yes. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yep. Uh, best friends who support their mate on her mission. John Cusack. She's not that supportive. She is quite. She, yeah, ultimately she has a bit of an arc. I mean, she, she drugs her accidentally, but yeah. Apart from that, she is supportive. And then she also says, "I'm not going to talk to you until you've stopped doing this." So, mm. Because yeah. she's worried about her friend, because she's worried her friend's going to get hurt, which she was going to get hurt. Mm, she was. I don't see that. You don't have any female friends, so you can't relate to this relationship. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Let's start a new myth. Hey, animals can't connect with other women. Uh, Very yeah. friendly. So you got Joan Cusack and then Reese's BFF Serena and Margot yes. in Legally Blonde. Uh, just a bit of background. Pop stars nearly got the lead role in both movies. Oh, yeah. Was it Britney Spears? Britney Legally Spears, Blonde? Legally Blonde. No. Yeah, yeah. They discussed Amazing. it. We'll get to that. I've got some quotes on that. And um, uh, Madonna. Madonna. Mm. Madonna for Working Girl. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. Any more for any more? No. no. All right, let's get into this. So on Thursday, Chris is going to law school because he can. He'll prove you all wrong, which means today, and uh, not for the first time, I'm hoovering in some lingerie with my nips out. <laughs> Let me take you on a journey. <laughs> Good spot. <laughs> Tess McGill just isn't taken seriously because of her hair, her accent, and the fact that she smells of ferry, but mainly because she's a woman. All that seems to be about to change when she starts working for Catherine Parker, who is girl-bossing the shit out of New York. Turns out girl-bosses can be just like boy-bosses, massive shits. But luckily, Tess finding this out coincides with Catherine massively being crap at skiing. With her boss temporarily out of the picture, Tess takes her place. And her man. Although she doesn't know that yet because she's not every single person watching this film ever. After getting trashed on Valium, hoovering naked and nearly making it to the top, Catherine returns and ruins everything like the massive shit she is. Thankfully, Indiana Jones stands by Tess and good wins out. If by good, you mean the minute Tess actually makes it to the top, she's immediately infantilized by her man who insists she takes a child's packed lunch to work. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, oh. working girl. Oh, the packed lunch, though. <laughs> yeah, um, you're being mean. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't want to jump ahead. I did find it sweet. Oh yeah, I did yeah. find it you're sweet. You're making a joke. Yeah, you? I'm making a joke. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. You're right about the hoovering in the bra, though. Like, who's done, whose idea was that? I'll tell uh, you. Yes, we, know, we definitely <laughs> have the phone. Yeah, I'll tell oh, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Uh, so, our individual histories with this movie, they were your choices. V, let's start with you. I have only seen it once. Okay. But you know, when you see something, you just love it and it just enters the canon of like things that you know you love. And it's um, something I've always wanted to see and like, even try to write like a more modern version of, mm. which I can't do because I'm not very good. Because you're not a man. Because I'm not a man. What's the point in writing it? No one fucking read it. Kevin Wade nailed it. Yeah. Maybe I could talk to Kevin and we could, I could ghost write something. Um, but yeah, seen it once before the week, but just love it so much. Wow. How long ago did you watch it? Like. Ooh. Um, oh, I was probably about ten years ago. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. 
So ran- no, after, after, after we went our separate ways before after we you. reconnected, <laughs> after me. Yeah. Uh, Chris? Well, obviously in the 80s, you had to watch every Harrison Ford film. It was the law, even though some of them were quite challenging for someone who was eight years old, mm. like Mosquito Coast and Witness <laughs> and Blade Run. I didn't understand any of them. Frantic. Frantic. <laughs> uh, and so this one, yeah, I obviously wasn't old enough to watch it in the cinema, so I must have watched it when it came out on video in 1989. And I remember liking it, but probably not really appreciating it or understanding it. But it was like, oh, look, it's the one from Ghostbusters and it's the bloke from Indiana Jones. And it seems funny and there's some boobs and that's kind of it, really. <laughs> so you really got the message behind the film. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, and I, I don't think I've seen it since, but I just remembered thoroughly enjoying it. And so it was I was looking forward to revisiting it. First watch for me. Yeah. Uh, absolute first watch. Never seen it before. And I was saying to you in the week, it wasn't even, this isn't even a movie that I was on my radar. Even now, as like, oh, I should watch that because, you know, to complete my movie watching CV, it's a film that is important. I should have watched it. So it just, it's this. if we hadn't done it for this show, I don't know if I'd ever have seen mm. Working Girl, uh, which is more for me because I, I watched it and it was a very, very pleasant surprise. Um, if only... Because for the entire movie, Joan Cusack looks like she's walked off the set of The Dark Crystal. So <laughs> that tickled me every time. Uh, would you like to know a little bit about this movie? I then? really, really would. Okay. Uh, so, a few discrepancies about who came up with the idea for this movie. Uh, this is from 2018. So, Doug Wick is the producer. And he said, one day in 1985, I saw a woman who, from the ankles up, was very chic. But she was wearing tennis shoes. I talked to Kevin Wade about doing a story about those girls. The outsider with a face pressed against the glass, longing for all those shiny things inside the jewel of Manhattan. Kevin Wade says... I'd seen the Staten Island Ferry coming over and those women in sneakers getting off and then stopping to change into dress shoes. That's how I discovered this story. <laughs> Maybe they were sitting together and one elbow the other and said, look, look at the trainers. Yeah? Yeah. You giving them the benefit of the doubt there? All right, fair enough. Uh, so uh, Kevin Wade would go on to write uh, another Cinderella story, uh, Made in Manhattan which I oh, interviewed yeah. J-Lo for. One of my first ever interviews was interviewing J-Lo for that. It was amazing. It was at the Dorchester Hotel and... They just, like, the entire room had been redone for mm. her junket interviews. Everything was white. There were white sheets, white throws, white cushions everywhere. It's like walking into heaven and there's J-Lo sitting in the middle. <laughs> Amazing. Very strange, but, uh, yeah, quite enjoyed the movie. Did she still well. sing like Jenny from the Block, or? Was <laughs> she still what? Seemed like Jenny from the Block. No, no, no. But did she ever really? <laughs> Even when she was looking down the lens at you going, I'm Jenny from the Block, <laughs> were you going... Definitely are. Definitely are. Uh, So apparently in the early days, uh, there were a lot of uh, conversations that were had about Tessa's Mm likability. So in an early draft of the script, uh, she was given a dying mother. Oh, okay. So the first director who jumps on board with this draft was a guy called Jim Bridges. uh, And he uh, developed the script and got Demi Moore involved. Mm -hmm. So the first script was going to be Demi Moore in the role of Tess. And uh, Catherine Parker... Sigourney Weaver's character was going to be a man. Right, okay. And then Kevin Wade suddenly had an epiphany and went, no, she should be a woman. Yeah. And when it came to writing her, and I cannot remember the movie we were talking about on the show where the writer said exactly this. He said, "Uh, I remember very distinctly writing Tess exactly as I would write a guy. I didn't change a thing. I thought to myself, maybe the secret to do this is don't make her a woman, just make her a character. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I put that quote in red because I was so excited to read it to Vicky. This made me run cold. It was outlandish. Don't make her a woman, make her a character. Yeah, I've just found a way to write an amazing woman. I've written a man. Oh, no. Okay. It was, you're right, it was Outland. It was yeah, the Doctor in Outland. Yeah. 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 Uh, so um, 
Jim Bridges then drops out and Mike Nichols becomes interested. And because Mike Nichols is interested, everyone wants to be in this movie now. So he's directing. He sees Madonna on The Tonight Show and thinks she'd be good. Uh, that doesn't happen. Uh, then there were discussions about Michelle Pfeiffer taking the lead role. Uh, Doug Wick, the producer, says at the time, she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Slightly rude. but so rude. <laughs> No, this is 2018. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Not now. She's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, no. have you seen her? Have you seen her, mate? Wait, let me get my phone out. Look at her now. So this, this is a then and now. Look at that. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, it is what he said. <laughs> at the time, <laughs> he didn't mean it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, that's true. He didn't mean it like that, but he did say it. And in print, things read differently. <laughs> I think he meant she was topping those lists. <laughs> that's what he meant. Uh, but uh, they made the decision that if you cast someone like that, there would have been a line of guys at her desk trying to marry her. No. That's what Doug Wick says. Jesus Christ. I don't feel the two of you would get on. <laughs> So Melanie Griffith, uh, her agent gets. So does that mean Melanie Griffith is a a dog? Like, what's that supposed to mean? He does go on to say they wanted someone who, when they were wearing glasses, would look like nothing at all. But the minute she took the glasses off, when they wear glasses, they've got a little bit of anonymity, and Mm. then when they took them off, you saw they were a true beauty. This narrative doesn't help anybody because it makes it seem like you men are dogs, and the minute you see something good looking, you're like shall I fucking marry it? Like well, it's that's also not the, true it's either. also the plot of every romantic comedy in the eighties mm-hmm. and nineties, though. That when yeah. we took off her glasses, just, yeah, and put it down her hair. Just yeah. take your glasses off. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, take them off. Take them off. Uh, so. Uh, Melanie Griffith had been a child star uh, and then she'd uh, had a a, a rough patch in her life with substance abuse. Uh, But her agent uh, was trying to find a way back for her and had just done that with a Jonathan Demme movie, uh, 1986's Something Wild, which had put her back on people's radar. And they got the script for Working Girl and they both read it and they were like, we want you should do this. Melanie needs to do this. Um, but the head of Fox did not want Melanie Griffith. He wanted Shelley Long, who was a very big deal at the time because she was in Cheers. Oh, yep. yeah. So uh, they decide to chase Working Girl anyway, and they do this little secret thing where they get a copy before it's released of Jonathan Demme's Something Wild and show it to Mike Nichols, and Mike Nichols falls in love with Melanie Griffith for the role, and he will not tolerate anyone else getting it. She is a dumb deal in his mind. Fox lose their shit. They did not want her in the lead because... He'd already cast Alec Baldwin in the Jack Trainer role. Ah. Now, at this point, Baldwin was unknown. So Fox were like, we're making a movie with two unknowns in the leads. Absolutely not. So because Sigourney Weaver had worked with Nichols on Hurley Burley, which I haven't seen, um, he gets her on board. So she jumps on board as Catherine Parker. Uh, Fox still aren't happy. So they have to have the awkward conversation with Alec Baldwin where they go, look, We've got Harrison Ford now who's interested. He said he wanted to do it because he was at a point in his career where he liked to do something different and he just done Witness Frantic and the Mosquito Go, so this was very different. And so they had a word with Alec and apparently he was very lovely about it and swapped characters. So um, without wanting to make it too gossipy, but she does speak about it herself, so it is fine in this 2018 interview. Uh, Griffith was in the midst of struggling with uh, years-long alcohol and cocaine addiction during the shoot of this movie. And she says there were a lot of things that happened on Working Girl that I did that were not right. It was the late 80s. There was a lot going on party-wise in New York. There was a lot of cocaine. There was a lot of temptation. 
Uh, one uh, particular occurrence uh, was where she arrived on set high on cocaine and they had to shut down the shoot for 24 hours. As she does talk about this, she said, Mike got so mad with me, he wouldn't talk to me. The first assistant director came up and said, we're shutting down, go home. And I knew I was in so much trouble. Can you imagine? I mean, the anxiety of getting there mm. or at high and then I'm going... No. It's because of the amount of people as well. It's not like going to an office, yeah. which is bad enough, but you just see like a hundred people filing out. Awful. Mm. So the next morning, Nichols took me for breakfast. This is Melanie Griffith speaking. Uh, not me. She ate everything. <laughs> <laughs> she snorted some scrambled eggs. He said, you've got a problem. <laughs> uh, he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pay for last night out of your pocket. We're not going to report you to the studio, but you have to pay for what it cost. And it was $80,000. It's a hell of a night out. <laughs> hell of a night out. So they wanted to get my attention. They really did. It was very humbling and embarrassing experience, but I learned a lot from it. And three weeks after filming was completed, she went into rehab. Uh, so uh, it had a small budget, $28 million, Made a whopping $103 million, nominated for one, two, three, four, five Oscars. Uh, Melanie Griffith was nominated for Best Actress, Sigourney Weaver and Joan Cusack, Best Supporting Actress, Nichols for Director and Best Picture, Douglas Wick. But the only winner was your favourite song in the world. Oh, Carly Simon won. Carly Simon won Best Song for Let the River Run. Shall we go through the movie? Mm. Any more for any more? No. Cool, cool, cool. So, Carly Simon's Let the River Run. Oh, it is a tune. Are you trying to make him sing it? That's what you're doing, isn't it? Well, actually, I was watching it and I, you know, when you, sometimes you wish that you really were good at music because I was watching it. I just like, and I got this thing in my head and I thought this would actually make a really good theme tune. And so I'll sing it for you, what I had. Okay. Uh, it goes, uh, working girl, what a way to make a living. <laughs> working girl, it's all taken and giving. Okay, okay, there's it's, something there. Uh, right. There really is. Working girl, and they never give you credit. Wow, okay. It's just a thought. So it's political as well. I really do enjoy that. It really talks about the position mm. that she is in. And yeah. I don't know. It just came to me. <laughs> Clever. Thanks. Thanks very much. I mean, if there's any musicians out there, you know, put, put a beat to that and we are going to make some money. So the camera shoots towards a ferry uh, where we meet Tess and BFF Cynthia, who are taking a ferry ride with their hair. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit, did you notice there's one of the extras, I say extras and I'll explain, looks at the camera as it's finding Tess and Cynthia. No, well, they're not extras, are they? No. They shot it illegally. That's right. Yeah. It's okay. so weird when you hear stuff like that. You watch a movie and you're like, well, obviously everything is done above board. They just got a camera on the ferry and just went, right, we'll film it. That's why they probably didn't do it again when the guy goes, hey, what are you all doing? <laughs> so Cynthia is just happy hanging out with her hair, but Tess is hungry. She wants to make it in a world of bastards like Oliver Platt. Uh, <laughs> Oliver Platt says he worked on the movie for maybe two days. It was a very short thing. I knew I was playing a pig. Kevin Spacey's character and I were the pigs, sort of inciting me to us. Here's the sad thing. Those pigs were a dime a dozen on Wall Street, and I thought I was playing a rare pig. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, Vicky, you can answer this for me. She... she puts her trainers on, takes her trainers off at her desk and puts her shoes on. Yeah. Aren't you supposed to do it before you get into the office? Well, I... What's the rule? The rule, every time I've done it, I've been at my desk because you keep the shoes there. You don't want to carry them around, you see. Right. Uh, boring but true. Do you okay. get funny looks, though, from the foyer to the desk, from people going, 
Didn't no, I've never worked anywhere that fancy. Okay. So it's no. something that's bothering me though about the women of the world. I want to know now why wear shoes that aren't designed for comfort. Oh and, my god, I and literally actually I hurt and damage your feet. I want to. I want to know from the women of the world. So, Alex, mm. why do you do it? Uh, why well, do you do it, Al? Because I want to be taller than you always. So I've you got are, to get these. You heels. always are. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the thing is, I remember I could that was very funny, by off. the way. But the, like years ago, do you remember when the, the metro on the tube and there was like the lettuce thing? There was always like to the girl I saw on the circle line. I want to get off with him like weird stuff like that. What's this? Do you remember the me- the metro lettuce section? This is ages oh, ago. Like, yeah, before, yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah, 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 yeah. I remember reading that on the way to work and one man was like, don't you just hate it when you see a girl in a pretty dress and a suit, but she's wearing sporty trainers underneath it and it ruins it. And I always think, why have you done it? Oh shit, I didn't sign it, did I? It it does, though, doesn't it? Do people really think that those things don't hurt like motherfucking Mm. fuck? (laughs) Because they do. But we wear them because they make us stand up straight and feel powerful and all the rest of it. But you can't walk anywhere in them at all ever mm. wasn't there that big thing about uh, air crew or airline crew cabin crew uh, being able to wear comfy shoes for the first time and this is only like going back about five years yeah. up until about maybe even less that time ago they had to wear heels it was part of their duty yeah. to there wear heels there was a woman and her, she was a waitress and the, I, whenever I was a waitress I was told I had to wear a low heel but she didn't want to anymore and they fired her because she wanted to wear a flat shoe because she was on her feet all day wow. I think she won in the end I can't remember well, Oliver Platt sets Tess up on a date with Kevin Spacey's Bob Speck. Yeah, that's it. We're talking about shoes. That's that's not the issue. <laughs> shoes is not the issue. <laughs> We're going to get into the issue. Uh, Bob Speck is a brilliant asshole name. Apologies to all the Bob Specks <laughs> in the world, but it's a great name. I'm Bob Speck. You're an asshole. It just it works. So she finds herself in a limo with Bob, who's drinking champagne, doing coke, and watching very specific swimming pool porn. Um, question. Yeah, that took me by surprise. But how quick do you get out of that lemma? Because Tess stays in it a little longer than I would expect. Yeah, I think the scene, there's something in the scene which diffuses. It's, it is malevolent and it is scary. But because Kevin Spacey's character, irrespective of who Kevin Spacey turned out to be, mm. because the character is clowning, it doesn't seem that threatening, even mm. though it's a very threatening situation. But if you take away the fact that he's quite a small man and he's laughing and joking, well, not, not joking, but he's laughing, he's killed himself laughing kind of thing. Mm. And you have a man who's silent. That's a, such a different situation. Uh, yeah, it's quite a scene, though. It's just that pornography. There's a couple of scenes in this which I think really mark it out. I think if you made this movie now, there's the bit where Doreen is on top of Alec Baldwin mm. and you see, to quote Patrick Stewart extras, I see everything. <laughs> you do. So there's that and there's the pornography which you see. It's really explicit. I don't think you'd have those scenes in it if they made this now and it really marks it out yeah. as a, a grown-up movie that you're watching. True. They put boobs in everything in the 80s, though. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they we just did. don't. We just don't do that anymore. Well, it was uh, wasn't it Joel Silver's thing? Like every movie Joel Silver made at the start, within like there's got to be an something. action scene every ten minutes and <laughs> moves. and. Uh, so, uh, where weirdly enough, you didn't want to talk about who Kevin Spacey was. Now, uh, Melanie Griffith says it's a strange coincidence that Kevin's now ostracised because of his actions, his sexual proclivities or whatever. In Working Girl, <laughs> I jump out of the car because of his character's sexual advances. There are millions of women who had that experience, and that's why so many women love that movie and to this day tell me how we change their lives. So, uh, yeah, it's a vile scene, though. 
Yeah. A really uncomfortable scene. Uh, anyway, after taking revenge on Platt for porn dates, Tess gets fired from her job and ends up working for Catherine Parkinson, played by Sigourney Weaver, who initially I thought was going to be nice because... She's oh. a woman. <laughs> well, because she's written that way. She appears that way. And also, at this point, it's Sigourney Weaver. No, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm really intrigued because I've always known now that she she's the villain of the mm. piece. Oh, you see, Somewhat. I didn't. So yeah, does she come across? She comes across really yeah, nice. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, she does. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh wow, she's farmed. So and, you and, didn't uh, miss. There's an, alliance, there's an alliance here. This so is... you didn't read into it, which is, yeah, like like Chris said, it is interesting that you read mm. it like that. So even when she's like, you know, it's a two way street with me, and you're like, okay, cool, like mm. you're in it together. Yeah, yeah. But then the bit where she says, let's have some coffee, but then mm. tells Tess to get the coffee, but then you're like, well, that's fair enough. Like you she's are her secretary. assistant, yeah. so that's kind of what you do. But. Well, the two-way street scene comes a little bit later, and that's after she said that her idea is bad, but she wants her notes. Yeah, so that's been that's yeah, when that's, that's the moment oh, I was okay. like, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> this, yeah. that's a strange thing yeah. to say because you know you've got. I think because of who Sigourney Weaver was and the character she played. I mean, like obviously, you know, Dana Barrett is a, a good character; she's goody. Uh, but then you've got Ellen Ripley, who's like this super empowered, like you know woman and so then to sort of like have this like two years later and I'm just watching it going well Sigourney Weaver plays mm. good characters at this sure, point yeah. in her career and I think this is way before like Paul and Cabin in the Woods where she plays exactly the same character yeah, yeah I'm feeling like they tried to make you feel a little bit of sympathy towards her as well at that party mm. although she's kind of talking down to Tess a little oh, yeah, bit yeah. She, you can see her trying to fit in with the guys and be one of the lads because she has to and she's she's being harassed and she makes a joke about these lecherous men and how she deals with them yeah. so you're given a sense of what she's having to deal with day to day and so I think that gives you some th- sympathy for her at this point in the film and Griffith is great here where she, her face, when she finds out Catherine Parkinson is younger than her, it's, it's really good. Is that, I couldn't understand. Is that, a, was that, a, was that Catherine lying? I don't think so. I no, think I it's think just so. a shock because no. Tess wants to get Because she's to 10 years Catherine... older than her in yeah, real life. In real life, yeah. yeah. But, so, okay. I don't think so. I think, I I think, think she's, she they're meant to be the same age. was lying or not. And it just reinforces this idea that Tess is so far away from where she wants to be and she's meeting someone who's already there and is younger mm. than her. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I love the dim sum scene just because of how sweaty <laughs> she is. Funny. Very funny. Um, and then Tess is oblivious to the fact that Catherine is a Machiavellian person and she is stealing this idea. Uh, she tells Kath- uh, she tells Alec Baldwin's chest hair, she takes mm. me seriously and I know you hate it when I say this, but I think it's because she's a woman. So... Alec Baldwin, uh, Griffith says this about Alec Baldwin. He's handsome and charming and I had such a crush on him, but he wouldn't go there with me. She basically tried to seduce Alec Baldwin on the set. He wouldn't go there with me. I was like, oh, come on, have a romance with me. But no, (laughs) he said, I can't do this with people I work with. So Catherine is not short of confidence in one of my favourite quotes in the whole movie where she's talking about this guy who she wants (laughs) to get with and Tess is like, what do you think he likes you? And she's like, "Uh, after all, I'm me. It's brilliant. (laughs) Because it it leans into the more screwball aspect of this film. Which happens a lot in the third act. There's yeah. a lot more of that. But yeah. then this is buttoned, that scene's buttoned by the skiing thing as well. Like mm. so which is a silly prank fool moment. But very funny. But that speech is so she's so robotic and she's so <clears> like I can't remember. It's like the validity of the request is sound yeah. and blah, blah blah whatever. So she's just this emotionless thing, this work bot. But it's re- you know you can't it's just it's a comedy character, but it's done re- really well. Yeah, and there's also a line in that scene that I'm probably going to uh, pull in and, uh, and use in real life, uh, which is, uh, 
watch me, Chris. Learn from me. <laughs> <laughs> Who makes it happen? <laughs> I'm going to be Chris saying does. that. <laughs> uh, anyway, 25 minutes in and Catherine, like you say, breaks her leg and we get the plot of the film actually stated, which is marvellous, because yeah. she actually says to Tess, I need you to take over. Yay! Lovely oh, business. Nice. Yep. Great writing. Great writing. Uh, so Tess visits Catherine's flat. We get those Warhol paintings, which are amazing. Very yeah. funny. It's Very terrifying. Funny. Uh, Sigourney Weaver says, uh, you, you remember the Warhol paintings in an interview? She goes, yeah, Mike gave those to me and I still have them. I think they're in storage. <laughs> so she's still got those paintings. Uh, Tess starts copying Catherine's voice, which at this point seems like innocent enough. Like she just wants to get ahead in the business. So she's copying her voice because she thinks it'll make her sound more professional. But boy, is that going to come in useful in a bit. So uh, that's how we get this sort of Marilyn Monroe style, like very softly spoken voice that she uses for a lot of the She's very breathy, yeah. Mm, Very breathy. So she finds out that Catherine has double-crossed her and you can tell she's broken-hearted because she immediately hits that cause light. She is back on the ferry. (laughs) Back on the ferry, she cracks open that can of cause light like you do when shit has hit the fan. Give me my Get me all light. the cause light. Because <laughs> I'm going to need to drink all of it. <laughs> uh, so things go from bad to worse for poor Tess, though, because she finds out Alec Baldwin, and I know you love this word, is boinking Doreen. Uh, I'm really, this is what the thing I most remember is, is when she walks in on him and he says, this is not what it looks like. I remember finding that really funny. That's really funny. Uh, right, we'll carry on after this short break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Because they were naked and they were properly shaggy. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> why, that's why it's funny. Just it in case totally, you didn't have the context. Yeah, that's totally what it looks that's like. That's what yeah. the joke is. It did, it's, yeah. it's very explicit. I, I remember going, boy, mm. <laughs> didn't expect that. You, like I said, I think if you made the movie now, they'd be under the duvets, be like messing about, and like, you'd sort of see that. You wouldn't see her literally on top of him. Yeah. God bless the 80s. Uh, so, Tess comes up with a plan to pretend to be the boss and take Catherine's place and we get a makeover scene. I know, I absolutely love it. Mm. <laughs> I really love it. I mean, I won't lie, it's her hair looks a billion times better. Her hair looks a billion times better. We talked about this. Didn't we? Um, there's, a, there's a really good article in The Guardian, but I think it's by Hadley Freeman, about what it signifies that she loses the shoulder pads she loses the hair she loses but also she has taken Catherine's advice so although Catherine is the enemy and the antagonist some of the advice is actually quite useful like lose the jewellery using her weapons against her yes perfect and her literal wardrobe against her but once you need to take up less space physically less space physically because you don't need to push in because she's in so once she's in with the boys kind of thing. She doesn't need those big pads to like push in and be like, make room for me kind of thing. She is faking it till you make it with the shoulder pads, but now she's making it. Yeah. I love it. I, but why does Catherine have clothes that are that expensive that aren't even leather? I mean, what is $6,000 in the 80s? Like It's a joke in the film. Um, <laughs> and also, it makes no sense that the dress she looks great in <laughs> belongs to Gourney Weaver. You think it's too girlish? No, she's too bloody tall. Yeah. There's no way that same oh, yeah, dress would right. fit those two women. <laughs> it's so weird because I actually found a quote from the the costume designer right. in the movie who says, "Yeah, we actually put the dress that Tess wears on Sigourney and it came above her waist because she's so much taller." It would be like Alex wearing a pair of my trousers. Mm. Right? Okay. It would not be good. But uh, they reasoned it out as you have to do. They were like, let's just pretend she bought it years ago and she's just never got rid of it. Exactly. She had a 30 year old growth. Yeah, when she was 15, she had $6,000 kicking around. <laughs> just like, I love that. I love that. Anyway, we meet Jack Trainer. Yay! Harrison oh Ford. Oh my God. Who is, is it not Pete Harrison Ford? Tell me it's not. It's he gets weird. top billing in this film and doesn't show up for like 40 minutes. Yeah, that is rude as fuck, to mm. be Very honest. Very rude. Although, yeah. to be honest, he's the reason I saw it, so it makes sense to me. It worked on you, yeah. <laughs> it, he's very good, because it take it did take me a while to stop seeing Harrison Ford and see Jack Trainer because it's just, it's Harrison Ford. It's yeah. that weird thing, like, to see past like him and see the character. But that said, by the end, I was sold. And I think as well, because when you first meet him, he is, like... Unbelievably, Indiana Italy. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's now buying you a tequila and trying to have sex with yeah, you. Yeah, that's why you liked him. He, he was ordering a shit ton of tequilas, Alex. Yeah. Did you not flash back to our after live show party? I was like, oh my oh. god, I'm back there. I'm back at that wedding that we crashed, drinking tequila <laughs> given to us. Loads, so much tequila. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's mm. good. Freaking love tequila. <laughs> I love. I, I honestly, I wrote down. I absolutely love this meeting between the two. Yeah, me too. I like. I I, I like the opening line. Uh, let me get this right. You're the first woman. I've seen it one of these things that dresses like a woman not like a woman who thinks a man would dress who a woman thinks a man would dress if he was a woman yeah I, I had to think about that for ages yeah. is that, I don't that. know if it's a compliment I'm not well she, I think she says doesn't yeah, she, she goes, I don't know she goes thanks I guess yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so, I, like I said there's real chemistry between them uh, we also have the wonderful line um, I have a head for business and a body for sale. That was in every advert and trailer for this. I remember that on the telly. Yeah, and it's a great line and it works in this film. Can you imagine if someone actually said that to you in real life? I've got a head for business and a body for sin. You'd be like, <laughs> fuck off. Fuck <laughs> off, you haven't. <laughs> Shut up. Did you just say that? <laughs> Who are Isn't you? Isn't it a miracle that she, she makes it work and you... 
you, the point of the film and with both films actually is you're rooting for her always mm. and with a really sharp eye on it you can be like oh do you know what Tess I've, I'm not into you now because that is so overtly like using your sexuality to do whatever mm. but then because it's passed off as like she just is very sexy and she's on Valium and she's like I mean she's like you know I'm not a pass for me like one tequila come on girl like get it together yeah but she it's the voice it's the way she is it's so early in the film to be be being sexualized in front or sexy in front of Jack, but it just works mm. because of her. I mean, there is a lesson for us all. Uh, tequila and Valium don't mix. I'm not uh, friends. Which weirdly enough happens in the film as well. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get really nervous in the next scene. The bit where Harrison Ford is carrying Melanie Griffith yeah. up the stairs. I just, I, I, it's like an unusual thing because you're not meant, you're meant to be like, oh, that's nice. I was like, fucking hell, they really did that. And if he topples backwards... He like she's gonna break her neck, and it's really her. Like, yeah, it's not a stunt. I thought it must be a stunt person just in case something bad happens, but it's really her. You just say, "Oh God, you're so strong." Although the main concern in that scene was actually Harrison Ford's back because he'd screwed it up. Remember we talked about it on Temple of Doom, so oh, yeah. they were all very worried about his back. Apparently. I think it's a problem with I didn't think it like ten years ago, but I do. I definitely think it now that he does. He still sleeps next to her in mm. the bed. And undresses her. And undresses her. He has got a very nice couch in the living room, doesn't he? This is the thing. Like, if in real life you want that guy to be the good guy and he would sleep on the sofa, I think. Yep. Um, And then in the morning when he goes to talk to her, he kind of makes her wait to find out if he raped her. Because she's like... (laughs) Did anything? He's like, mm, no. And <laughs> did, that, it? did it? Did it? <laughs> and it's like, because if it did, that's a matter for the police. So it would be really cool if you could just let me know. Um, I think in '88, it looked like he was doing the gentlemanly thing. But yeah. It doesn't look like that now. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Mm. But you're right. I mean, now, if that, like, again, if the movie was made now, he'd be on the sofa. Definitely. That is how you write that character. Uh, I, I, there's a couple of really nice moments coming up here, which really, I think, like, the first moment is just what a great. Um, comedian Melanie Griffith is when she goes into the meeting with Jack Trainer and he goes coffee and she goes yeah sure oh my god it's so funny <laughs> goes to try and get him coffee so funny <laughs> oh, lovely and then um, Joan Cusack's got a brilliant line when she apologises for giving her too much value and I go yeah should have checked the milligrams live and learn <laughs> <laughs> but also when Joan Cusack in the scene coming up when she's pretending to be Tessie's secretary and she's oh, just yeah. riffing she's like you decent like knock knock it's so funny she does, she does a lot of good face acting there as oh, well when does. Jack's got his back turned yeah <laughs> um, I it was around this point I wrote in my notes and it does remind me a little bit of Pretty Woman which I know came out later but there is re- there are real I think it's the I think it's the Cinderella story mm. set against the backdrop of mergers and acquisitions sure, yeah. which is pretty much Pretty Woman <laughs> uh, so Tess starts going about pretending she's the boss uh, sorting out this merger while Catherine is in hospital a uh, quick question what in the name of sweet baby Jesus is going on in that hospital room when we cut to it it looks like a freaking uh, fever dream I was going to say it looked a lot of fun. She's, I think there she are said, clowns and magicians. Yeah, this is the boring answer, but I think she says, I'm at my parents' house. So her parents have had a makeshift hospital erected, is that oh, correct? Oh. In their big mansion, so she can have whatever staff she wants. That was my. Okay. I, I was like you, I thought she was in a hospital. So I, yeah, I, I want to go and stay in I hurt my toe so I can go. It, stay looked, there. You know, it looked like the. Remember Blur's Country House video that yeah, Damien yeah. Hurst directed? <laughs> it, looked, it looked like that. The, the, oh, look, there's Joe Guess. <laughs> the, the video that Graham Wilson famously said uh, during, he was like, Damien, what the fuck are you doing to us? Making you famous. <laughs> Art. 
<laughs> so uh, speaking of fever dreams, what about the wedding that Tess and Jack go to? What, good Absolutely or bad? Absolutely bananas. First of all, all I was obsessed with the, the gifts. I was like, smoky jar barbecue. I've got that barbecue. Best barbecue you can get. So Is good for you, Cynthia, and oh. whatever your fiance is called. Um, but also just is Lady in Red in it just because it's 1988 and it has to, like, contractually, you have to? Mm. I don't know. I thought you'd be focusing on uh, the brilliant bit, which I, I, I know would appeal to you and does appeal to me, where Harrison Ford goes to the bar, gets two drinks, immediately downs one and then takes the other one around oh, the Oh, you were party. talking about the I was going to say, Lady in Red is when they're in the bar yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on Staten Island. Yeah. You're talking about Sorry, the wedding. Yeah, I'm talking about, Sorry, not, yeah. I'm talking about the wedding that they crash, not oh, the yeah. wedding of... Uh, Tess's friend. Yes, you are correct about that. Yeah. About one, one for chef, one for me. <laughs> I yeah. like the wedding bit because it's really goofy, and he, Jack Trainer, occupies what would be the female role in a film like that, where he he needs her to like show him what to do. Yeah, and he's losing his mind a little bit. Like he can't do it. He can't do it. And she's like, just fit in. You'll be fine. Calm down. I was was also trying to figure out if this film is sort of pro-capitalism or anti and pro-money or anti because it's so entrenched in Reaganomics and and the 80s movies where success equals money equals a victory. And that feels like the only time where you you look around that wedding and it's all these money people and it looks awful. Yeah. I feel like it was a little bit of a comment on actually it was not, it's more fun back in Staten Island with her friends there. Yeah. Um, But that was the only moment I felt that. There's a gross moment where Harrison Ford comes out of the toilet and pops his cheek before he's washed his hands. Oh, York, I yeah. never noticed. I don't yeah. like the cheek the cheek pop anyway. But Well, he hasn't washed his hands either, which makes it unhygienic. You know, it's more unhygienic to bite your fingernails than it is to lick the seat, uh, the toilet bowl of a public toilet. Really? Yeah. You Don't test it, but just <laughs> take my word for it. See how ill I get. Uh, so we get the meeting with Oren Trask, who listens in from a neighbouring office, uh, which apparently uh, I think happens a lot. I remember reading uh, an interview with someone who had a meeting with Bernie Eccleston. Bernie Eccleston used to do exactly really? the same thing. Like They were so shocked when he suddenly pipes up on the intercom. Oh, it's old. Yeah. <laughs> did you recognise the bloke speaking for Trask? I did. Oh, I here we go. Come on. It's not, Don't let me down. Is it Ghostbusters? Did you recognise I didn't, actually. Isn't, it, isn't he in, in the mayor's office in Ghostbusters? We talked about him the other day. It's the violin guy from oh, Ghostbusters. Right. He's back again. It's Harlan from Thor and Louise. Oh, yeah. He keeps popping up. I know. Violin guy. Violin guy. Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, he's probably the most gifted actor we've ever watched because he's a fucking shit. He's a chameleon. He's a chameleon. <laughs> How are you getting out of this? <laughs> it's not me, it's him. Yes. Uh, so uh, they get things go well in the meeting and that makes Tess and Jack (laughs) (laughs) they love a little bit of success they do did you so the obviously the kiss on the steps is brilliant um but then the scene with the big computer and he's like crunching the numbers Mm. for so nearly a reach around but it doesn't qualify because he doesn't show her how to use a keyboard which is a missed opportunity (laughs) 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 or he doesn't explain macroeconomics to her which it would be patronising but whatever Mm. Uh, we do get a mention of Harrison Ford's scar, though. Mm. How we got the scar? Oh yeah, uh, he was having his ear pierced, heard a pop, passed out, and smashed his. It's chin weird, on the isn't toilet. it? In hindsight, now that he's got the earrings that mm. oh, don't look right on yeah. him, <laughs> it just doesn't look right. Morgan Freeman as well. He's got one too. I just, yeah. yeah, do what you've got to do, guys. But I don't know. I don't like it. Um, I, I liked it though when they were getting down to it in the apartment when he couldn't get his shirt off. Mm. It felt very real. Like he's he's got really good comic timing, I think. And and obviously, uh, just before then, we'd had the shirt, the scene where he's taking his shirt off, um, and oh, the secretaries can see him, and they're yeah. all clapping. And it's it's a cool reversal, you know, objectifying yeah. the man. He's mm. essentially 
Yeah. You know. The totty. The totty. Mm. The hot totty in this film. He, yeah. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Uh, he gets a call, though, the following morning from a woman he's involved with, which we all know is certainly Catherine Parkinson. Uh, Tess. It's, uh, um, it's Parker. Yeah, it's Parker. Catherine Parkinson's in the IT crowd. Yeah. Oh, person. Catherine Parker. Yeah. Have I been calling her Parkinson the whole show? You've only done it yeah. twice. You've oh, right, yeah. fine. Yeah. Catherine Parker. Yeah. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you very much. We'll go, we'll go back and edit that so I sound correct from the top. Uh, <laughs> anyway. No, you uh, won't, Blondie. Don't waste your time <laughs> on this idiot. <laughs> Shut up, mate. Um, so... Uh, Catherine's coming back, so Tess Hoover's up topless. So tell me then, because yeah. it really sticks out. No one ever, no one has ever done it unless you. Oh, well, mm. you, you, you let Alex do the quote, and then you right, can do. Oh, you tell me your version first. I think because once you hear the quote, you're like, oh, but fair enough. What you've never, you've never Hoovered topless. No, I've never Hoovered topless. <laughs> what? Not even if it's a hot day. Right. If it was fine, I would consider Hoovering without clothes if it was a hot day, and I knew I couldn't be seen. Whatever, but I would never do that in high heels because you need to be able to walk and Hoover at the same time. But I think I think she's in a rush, so she's just like so put your shoes on as you leave the house, like a normal person. Right, okay, okay. Well, the actual quote is uh, that scene where I Hoover up without my top on. So this is Melanie Griffith. Uh, that was my idea. I remember when I went to Mike and I asked. What about if I vacuum wearing just high heels and my panties? Would that look okay? Can you imagine him going, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be you're right. He's, his face was like, of course it would be fucking okay. <laughs> would you do that? Uh, originally, it was a full bra and a slip and panties. And that's not how it would be if you're in a rush. <laughs> really? Mm, that's how I lived. I wouldn't get dressed to vacuum. So Melanie Griffith and you. What's she talking about? What? She does her own housework. <laughs> Where does she find she, the time? She's not backwards and coming forwards, though, because there's that famous story on the set of Bonfire of the Vanities where she went away and had her boobs done and then walked on set. And the director wasn't that happy because in continuity. Film, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. And she just walked up to him and said, wasn't it worth it? And put her hands on, his, on her breasts mm. in front of the whole set. So... She's not shy, at no. Melanie. I mean, if that's how she does it, that's how she does it. But I mean, I'm not surprised. My Nichols was like, "Of course, it's fucking okay, yeah. definitely." Because now you'd ask for money if they were, if there was an option, like you, like because it was what was it, Swordfish, which we have to do, by the way. Mm -hmm. Halle Berry was paid uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for like that flash of a, a, a topless scene in that movie. That's mm -hmm. nearly how much we paid to keep your clothes on at the live show, right? I know. <laughs> Made a killing, just the threat of my naked body. Cha -ching. Anyway, Catherine is back and she is pissed when she finds Tessa's diary and realises she's had a number done on her. Great scene where she storms into the meeting and wrecks everything for Tess. I love this scene. Mainly because I think it's after Tess leaves and is embarrassed mm -hmm. and everything. And the way Sigourney Weaver looks at Harrison Ford, it's like... She's partly wanting him to carry on this deal so the deal happens and she mm. plays ball, but she's also got this romantic relationship with him. So she's playing the victim. So she's got this sort of like almost her expression on her face mixed with still do this though because yeah. we can make some money. It's really good, her face in that scene. Yeah. And it's brilliant when Catherine um, can't answer a question so just collapses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't, oh, I get frustrated though. When, when Tess sort of leaves apologetically. Me too. You know, it's this is where deal. you want them to stand yeah. up for herself. The big moment. Mm. Maybe a bit of a wobble, but ultimately... It feels like yeah. the finale of the film. Yeah. And, 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 and actually, it's maybe 15 minutes too long. And so, I don't know. I feel like we could have ended things here. Really? I really like the climax. So, uh, yeah, like Catherine pulls this little girl hurt thing. Uh, Tess goes back home. Alec Baldwin, uh, he's off with Doreen now. Yeah. He's, he doesn't need her. David Duchovny's there. 
This is David Duchovny's first ever screen credit. I didn't see him. Yeah, he's in the background. Yeah, you can't he, say he, once you see him, you can't unsee him. No. <laughs> I love David Duchovny. Well, I really did. Well, I do. I, I used to want to be Mulder in the X Files. So I, like, I, drew, I drew aliens <laughs> on all my, like, my school books and everything. Because he was like, because he was an outcast. He was like spooky Mulder. I was like, I'm him. It's <laughs> not quite as cool. But that, just bless you for admitting things like that. No, that, honestly, I mean that. I'm not being patronizing. You always. Have I said you always, No, you always bring the goods with stuff that like, you don't hold back. And it's really admirable. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be a dick. I really mean it. But that, that Mick character played by Alec Baldwin, like, I remember him being an arsehole. Yeah, and when this film arsehole. starts, I think he's a caricature. But then when they have that moment that Vicky uh, mentioned when Lady in Red comes on in the bar, like it feels genuine emotion there. It feels quite real between the two of them. And it doesn't feel like the film is judging him. At the, at the start, I thought it was, but they actually have a proper grown-up moment together and it just seems like their lives are no longer compatible. Mm. And then when he she sees her, him with uh, the other girl later in the film, it's kind of they both moved on. It just feels really grown up watching yeah, it, I watching agree it with this you. time. Apart from one moment, after he does the awkward thing where he proposes to her in front of everyone in the bar mm. at Cynthia's engagement party, and she's like, maybe, and she's like, if you want a different answer, ask a different girl. And that's made him really angry. And that's fine. He would be angry. But he really does shout at her and he gets really, really mad at her. And at that point, I'd be like, well, that, that to me in film language just means you are a bit of a dick. Like, mm, yeah. you should leave him because Especially he's really he's aggressive. Especially because he's just cheated on her as yeah, well. So. Really, oh, of like, course, yeah, like yeah. It's leverage. But it just feels like that does feel real to that Staten Island world that she's come from, though, where it is just tough guys. And that is what she's trying to break away from. But yeah, she should run a mile when he does that. Yeah. So Catherine finally gets her comeuppance uh, when she can't explain how she came up with the idea for the deal. I don't this. I don't buy it. That's a real problem for me because wow. she has survived in this world by cheating, maybe, but by getting it done, right? Like same as everyone else. Yep. And she is a smooth talker. When she walks into that boardroom that Tess then scurries out of, like you say, she's like, okay, gentlemen, but we're still going to get this thing done. She doesn't like go to pieces, even though she knows her partner, she's not that into, I guess, is having I... an affair. But when pressed... She she should reach for some bullshit. I watched it and I was the reason I think it works is because I was sort of, I agree with you, but I don't know what she could reach for. There is, I don't I think it's very clear that there is no way of talking a way out of it. It's like a question that there is either an answer to or there isn't. I felt it was so cut and dry. Yeah. Right? And she just doesn't know because she wasn't involved in that aspect of it. So it works for me because she you you can't bullshit a question okay. that is that direct. Yeah. I wouldn't I wonder. I don't know. I, I mean wouldn't... you could, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know a regular person. <laughs> A regular person. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so uh, Tess gets given a job and you get that really, really sweet moment that almost made me cry, but didn't, but nearly made me cry when she doesn't realise she's got her own office. Mm. Yeah. It's so nice. But I think I'm obsessed with this scene because you could be annoyed with her. It's like, claim it. Claim this power. You've earned this thing. Mm. You've done it. Stop being so fucking like, oh, what, me? Like, take your office. He did make it clear it was an entry-level job. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing. The lunchbox scene, apart from being like, my heart, mm. is... But it, it cements the idea that she's going into a pool of people like a school. So it's cutesy and whatever. But in your head, you're like, you're going to be in a, in a conference room with all these other trainees and you are going to start at the bottom. So it throws you off guard, so, mm. which is why the corner office thing, you are not you don't see that coming no. in as well. I would probably replace that secretary, though. She seems like she's got a lot of attitude. She does. <laughs> she's got. A, she's after your job. There's something about her. She's yeah. a bit like, don't, don't expect me to do any fucking shit for you. Don't, it's like, <laughs> don't you like a strong woman, Alex? <laughs> I do. I do. That's why I love Tess. Really love Tess. Mm -hmm. Tess, strong woman. Strong woman. Um, and so uh, then Carly Simon's Oscar-winning score kicks in and we pull out from Tess sitting in her new office 
which, like all great films, is an exact mirror of the opening where the camera flies in and she's mm. on the Staten Island Ferry and yeah. it's like the reverse and now she's made it. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. No? You know, no, it's brilliant. I mean, I always thought this was this happy ending with this victory. Uh, but I think that's partly because of the music, because also when that camera pulls back, you're seeing that she's just this tiny cog mm. and she's part of this rat race and maybe all that glistens isn't gold. And and, <sighs> and uh, it made me, watching it this time, made me think maybe this isn't the happy ending I thought it was. But this bloody music is so uplifting. <laughs> I'm, I'm punching the air, but actually it's not It's not all it's cracked up to be. It's bittersweet to me. Mm. Yeah, she's part I of the machine. Can, you know me. I don't look beyond the most obvious uh, reading of it and I want a happy ending. So yeah. I was like, this is brilliant. So happy. Turn it oh, off. Which, which brings me back to, is it pro-capitalism or anti-capitalism? Is it, is it, is it happy or is it... Is it I think it's, I, I mean, again... A bit darker. It might be the simplest reading, but I, I'd say it's pro-capitalism and it's a happy ending because it's 1988. Like, yeah. no one knew <laughs> how bad it was. Or, <laughs> how bad it would get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, that's pretty much it. I'll leave. A, I'll end with a couple of quotes from uh, Weaver and Griffith uh, talking about the movie in 2018. Uh, Weaver says, Mike handpicked us and we all knew it. I had such a wonderful time working on that picture. I'll never forget it. The whole hierarchy seems so ancient now with the executive and the secretary. It's almost like it took place in the 50s, not the 80s. Everything has transformed since then in the workplace. It's particularly moving to see all this woman power about to be unleashed into the world. And rightly so. Griffith says, if Tess were around today, she'd be running Google. She'd have a lot of kids and maybe still be married to Jack. Playing her changed everything for me. It was great to have that life change be with such a positive story and a good message. An example of how to speak up and stand up for yourself and not sell yourself out for a job or a guy. You don't have to acquiesce to a man or a woman. Hell yes. <laughs> such feel good. It's just, do you not feel like, yay? I did. Yeah. I'm, really, I'm really glad you made me watch it. Play the, play the Carly Simon. <laughs> <laughs> working girl, just trying to make a living. She's a working girl. It's all taken and no given. So, shall we do the bits or have you got any more? No. Oh, that's good. All right, let's do the bits. Best scene, Chris. I'm going to go for the ending, but I the, a specific point in the ending because she's had to leave Staten Island behind. She's had to leave Mick behind and this sort of life behind, which is, again, is bittersweet for me. But she succeeds and the first thing she does when she's in that office is call Sin. And I think that's a really lovely moment because she's left everything else behind, but she's not leaving her friend behind. Mm. And so, and also, Joan Cusack, Sin's sort of reaction is absolutely brilliant. That makes you feel good. So I just think that's a really lovely moment at the end. Yeah, I love the end. Love the NV. Um, The first makeover. So when she, you know, the, the structure of the script is brilliant in that she finds out that Catherine has uh, betrayed her and Mickey is sleeping with someone else. So she's like the the call to action kind of thing. Like she has no choice now. Mm-hmm. But you see her make that decision. And then when she strides into the office with her new look and this determination. And then just and then it's also funny that like when she rings Jack Trainer's office and uses like a very um stereotypical overt New York accent to pretend to be the secretary and all of that. It's just a very empowering moment. Well, we've all got different ones because I am going with Tess and Jack meeting over tequila. <laughs> it makes me happy. So, yeah, I love that scene. I yeah. think you really get an idea. I think the chemistry between Ford and Griffith is great. So mm. I love that scene. MVWV, most valuable, whatever. Melanie Griffith, obviously. Like, she nails the shit out of it. Um, 
so you know she's the breathiness I you know you would think if you've known me for five minutes that might get on my nerves mm. <laughs> but it doesn't no. I really like it uh, she's smart the attraction like to Harrison Ford that should get in her way but she gives it room and because why not why can't she have this as well um, and just that the, the Melanie Griffith has done an amazing job in making you root for someone straight away you back all her choices you know that she's just been watching and waiting for her chance and she's doing it for you it's powerful it is powerful powerful stuff (laughs) what you said you liked it I'm just I'm agreeing Alex people are listening (laughs) I'm just saying it's really powerful stuff Chris well going into this viewing I remember loving Joan Cusack so much in this film I thought I was going to pick her oh uh, with her scene stealing ways but I'm going for Carly Simon (laughs) and that's because I knew knew he was a sucker for this song that's because I think the song works really well in the film, but I hadn't realised how it's actually used as the score all the way through. And I think it really beautifully underpins what they've done with the tune as well as the song that she wrote, which is funny because they nearly used a really terrible Eagle song called Witchy Woman mm. for, for that ferry crossing and for <laughs> okay. the whole film. And so thank God they didn't do that. So yeah, I'm going Carly Simon. Uh, I'm with V on this one, Melanie Griffith. Uh, it's actually really interesting for me personally because I don't I'm not familiar with Melanie Griffith's work mm. sort of before or since this movie really so watching this film for me was equivalent to watching it in 1988 when people discovered her for the first time in this movie because I was discovering her for the first time and she's bloody fantastic in it and such a great comedy actress mm. so I thought it was fantastic so Melanie Griffith uh, change Chris well I said this before so I don't know if I'll repeat the whole thing but it, and it might ruin the structure of the film because we lose that dark night of the soul but I wish tested up for herself when Catherine storms into that boardroom. And you're saying, well, you like the ending, but mm. I think the stuff that happens at the end could have happened in that boardroom. Yeah. It just happens in an elevator. Yeah. Um, but I also, just sort of bigger picture, I think there's a version of this film inspired by those women in those trainers. I think there's a version of this film where this person on the wrong side of the tracks doesn't change her accent or a boyfriend, but becomes a trader and makes her money that way, working her way up in that way. And I think that's how this story might be told now. But maybe that's the Wolf of Wall Street and maybe, and we know that that didn't end well. So I don't know. I was just thinking about if you were doing a modern version yeah, of it, I, right. think, I think it might be her doing it on her own terms, but from that trader room, um, stamping all over Oliver Platt and Kevin Spacey and that lot. Mm. Yeah, you are right. Victoria, what would you change? Uh, Catherine, do, Catherine gets, she gets really fired. Like she gets cast out into oblivion. It's like, we will never see you again. That's how it feels. Um, and so I am not the first person to say this, and this is what I obsess over if you were going to rewrite this film or write a modern version of it. It's like there's only room for one woman to be successful. Do you think Catherine should be a man? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I wondered if that's what you were, you were going with. This, no, the idea no that- this is a big... No, this is a conversation I wanted to have as well because it's, it's you know, it's it's... There's a criticism aimed at working girl that it sort of pits a woman against a woman and do we need that? But then is it sexist to do that and it not be, you know, Wall Street pits a man against a man? Yeah. I'm telling much the same story. Are we? Is it sexist to expect sisterhood between these two women when yeah. they're in this dog-eat-dog world? I just think a man fires Catherine and the power that she's established for herself would be maybe like, you, sorry, Mr. Trask, but you can throw your toys out of the pram, but mm. you can't get rid of me. Yeah. Like, So wouldn't mm. it be fun to set up for Tess at the end Catherine hasn't gone, but she's with a rival firm, and now you've got a sequel with this rivalry between two business partners, which is, you can think that's that sexist. It depends how you play it. Like, they're not like cattiness or whatever, but they can both maintain a position because there isn't just one woman working on Wall Street. And I would have been much more interested in seeing a sequel to this than Legally Blonde. Mm. Yeah. Working Girls. Yes. Or Working's Girl. (laughs) (laughs) One of those two. (laughs) 
One of those two. <laughs> Alex? Uh, my change, uh, sorry, Chris, it's the Carly Simon song. Sure. Um, I knew this was coming. I, uh, I could just smell it by the way you were acting. Yeah, so I'd just take it out completely and replace it with working girl, <laughs> she's just trying to make a living, working girl. Very that good. is literally my change. Very Great good. stuff. Uh, shall we do, that's working girl done, by the way. Shall Amazing. we do a quiz? Yeah. Great. Climbing the career ladder is the name of this quiz. Okay, you got my CV, yeah? Um, so I'm going to give you a bit of info about this, these actors and uh, the job they had before they became an actor. And you've got to give me the name. So say if I said this actor was born in 1942 and used to be a carpenter, you'd say... Jesus. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because that's what I was about to say. So I'm like, you say it. <laughs> you know the answer. Uh, it was a carp- John Wayne. The actor who was a carpenter. Uh, Michael King. Who's in fucking Working Girl. Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was a carpenter oh, for 10 it's years. Just this is going to be. This seems really this is, a long time ago. It's going to be a really bad quiz. I don't know any uh, of these. You might do. I've got some clues as well. So, all right, we'll kick off. Born in 1930, this tough guy was a milkman, then made a living polishing coffins. John Wayne. Before becoming a bodybuilder. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And eventually a movie star. Sylvester Stallone. 1930. 1930. And he just died. He just died. It is Kirk Douglas. And he was Scottish. Sean Connery. Correct. (laughs) He polished coffins and was a milkman. Born Karen Elaine Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) This is your milk. Born Karen Elaine Johnson in New York in 1955. Yeah. This actress made a living as a bricklayer and a mortuary cosmetologist before segoing into comedy and then winning an Oscar in 1990. Oh. Julia um, Roberts. No, it's um, Thingy who's in... Is it Thingy who's in My Cousin Sally Thingy? Field. It's got a crazy name that the woman has. Um, Meryl Streep. M- 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 <laughs> m- Marissa Tomei. And she won it for a comedy performance in the film Ghost. Demi Goldberg! You had to say Demi Moore. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, born in 1968, this jack-of-all-trades used to be a clown. Daniel Day-Lewis? No. Jack Nicholson. Uh, he, he used to do kids' parties. He was a jack of all trades, and he's a multi-talented Jack-a-lance. man now. He can... 1968, he's only 10 years older than me. He can uh, sing, he can dance. Hugh Jackman. Is he called Correct. <laughs> he said he was a terrible party clown because he couldn't do balloon animals or tricks. Okay. But he let kids climb all over him. That's weird. Right. Um, <laughs> born, born, That's not you, what he thinks. Would you like to see some swimming pool pornography? <laughs> born in 1974, this actress has been nominated for six Academy Awards. Meryl Streep. But started life working in a Hooters. Uh, Anne Hathaway? No. She made her arrival in 2016. Amy, Amy Adams. Adams. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Amy Adams used to work in a Hooters. Wow. Uh, all right. Two left. Born in 1963, this actor previously dressed as a chicken to promote the opening of a restaurant on Sunset Boulevard, <gasps> then made a living driving strippers around LA, one of whom told him about her acting coach, and the rest is history. Oh, I feel like I know this, but I don't. And he's very good looking. Keanu Reeves. Um, one of that lot. Uh, Charlie Sheen. Not Johnny Depp. No. So uh, Brad close. Pitt. Correct. Oh. <laughs> All right, Alex. Last one, Nate. This could be a clean sweep. Look at his little face. <laughs> oh, God. And I think he's got more chance of getting this one than you. This is annoying. I shouldn't have put this one last. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll prove me wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Working girl. <laughs> it involves cocaine. 
Oh, great. Okay, well, Burt Reynolds, born in 1953, <laughs> uh, before he made it on the small screen and then the big screen. Marlon Brando. This likable everyman went to prison for trafficking cocaine. Charlie Sheen. No, uh, thingy, uh, Robert Downey Jr. He should have found some kind of clever clause to get out of that. Tim Allen. Correct. Wow. <laughs> wow. So did, did Vicky get any points? <laughs> It's, oh, six that six doesn't now. make you look good. You know oh. that, don't you? No, I, don't, I mean winning yet, but like gloating, no. <laughs> Not gloating. I'm just really happy, and it's you, manifesting you, in a strange you way. You threw something at him last week. Yeah, so. no, I, I, it, it didn't make contact. So it did. <laughs> I, re- I honestly, I lost control of myself, and I didn't throw it. But you know, when you have that moment, you're like, I nearly did throw that at your head. Just, uh, just. I think we should come clean. So uh, to, our, to our dear listeners, I'm wearing a sling today from, <laughs> from where I was injured by a projectile. A projectile, a yeah. projectile. Right then, uh, so uh, I won the quiz. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is the end of the show. Um, <laughs> let's uh, look ahead to next week. Um, very exciting announcement coming on Thursday about October, but let's keep that till uh, then. Shocktober. I'm, I'm not sold. It just happened. All right, fine. Shocktober. Uh, <laughs> I thought we talked about things like this. Why don't we not discuss things like that? Anyway, Shocktober then. Uh, so, announcement coming about Shocktober on Thursday. I'm still not convinced. Um, but in the meantime, here is my clue for next week's pairing. It will make more sense on Thursday. But for the moment, I'd like the royal suite, please. That's the clue. I'd like the royal suite, please. That's the clue for the pairing next week. Get on Twitter where we are at ClashPod. Also, uh, do remember, we're back on Thursday, of course, because we're talking Legally Blonde. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you have time. It's a great help. And check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Speak to you Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.